All Things Automotive with the petrol head, Nico Smith. Nico, are you on the couch with a cup of coffee? Good morning. I am definitely on the couch. Coffee done, but I'm on the couch. <laughs> I always love that you say coffee done. And I do have to ask you, I think I have asked you this before. Do you um do quick takeaway, not takeaway coffee, but like sort of like the chicory? Or do you do like the real coffee on the stove or whatever the case may be? No, I'm fortunate enough to have a proper coffee machine that grinds the beans. Um, you? And then I... Yes, and then I just like, uh, and then I, you know, you so you have to grind it and then compress the coffee. Yeah. Um, like a barista machine, and then I, 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 I also can foam the milk, so I foam the milk. So I quite like a cortado, which is like a, a very strong cappuccino, effectively. Nico, so, yes, you sound so, I mean, tell me, have you ever made a baked Alaska? Have I, what, have I ever? <laughs> made a baked Alaska. <laughs> No, I've never even been to Alaska. I've never even been to North America or South America. So. <laughs> I didn't actually know that about you. I honestly thought that you were a chicory kind of a guy. I never realized no, 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 that no. you had your own chicory coffee machine. Horrible. It's horrible. Yeah, I, I, when I was a student, um, I, I had like chicory and that was okay, but I sort of progressed and now I'd rather not drink coffee than powder coffee, but I don't mind if you drink powder coffee. My family loves, like my family loves Frisco. I don't know who the heck they are, but they love Frisco and that's okay. So whatever you like is fine, actually. But I'm, I, I'm fortunate I enough to have, it's a small machine that can grind the beans and I'm sort of definitely addicted to that. Okay, so I'm going to crack right into a couple of questions before we go to you because we have got quite a few to, to go mm-hmm. through. So Andronicus and Makanya Kude asks, um, if you can replace drum discs with disc brake discs, is it possible also to install your own ABS system in a non-ABS car? Yo, um, now the thing is, um, uh, so what, first of all, I wouldn't necessarily replace the drums um, with discs. I guess you could if, if it's a model where, let's say it's a, a type of car where the entry levels had um, drums and the high up ones had discs, and you can simply replace those. But if the car was never designed for discs, it seems a little bit of a, of a costly exercise that's not necessary because the brakes would probably do the job. It, for wheel, for ABS, um, first of all, you need a wheel speed sensor. So part of the hub, they have something called a wheel speed sensor that senses how fast the wheel is turning because ABS uses the four wheel speed sensors to see if the brakes are, are locked or not. So it's actually not going to be that easy uh, if the car didn't have ABS to install ABS. Um, you obviously also need a, a, a system then to, to regulate the pressure in the brakes because effectively ABS regulates the, the brake pressure. So if a wheel's locked, it takes the brake pressure away for a second so that the wheel can rotate. It actually opens up the pads, the wheel rotates and applies a pressure on the disc or even the drum because you can have ABS and drum brakes. So um, that's not actually an easy thing to do. Okay, so Pat wants to know what is your opinion of the Daihatsu Terios SWB? What I'm not sure what SWB stands for. Um, so, uh, no, I think the Terios is a nice little car. You know, they, they, they're quirky. They're a little bit different, the Terios. Of course, um, Daihatsu belongs to, or part of that is Toyota. So you're definitely buying um, into sort of the Toyota, what should we call it? Um, part of that family of reliability. No, it's not a Toyota, but yeah, part of the brand. So I like the Terios. I think it's a cute little car. So if you like it, you know, I, I think I always say the same thing, but if you like the car and you, you know, you've got to drive it, if it's easy to service, or it's just... One thing, um, you know, if you're in a smaller town and you've got to go far to service, I would be worried. But if there's a, a dealership where you can service a car easily, I, I think they're cute little things. Go for it. 
Okay, then um, someone wants to know, what would you suggest to replace an adored Corsa diesel bucky which drives on the smell of an oil rag? <laughs> Corsa, you I don't know. I don't know because, the, you know, the, the, the small buckies, um, I don't know what small little diesel you're going to get. Um, so I, I understand why you love them. Those small, small little diesel buckies are awesome. So I don't know if it's that easy to replace a small diesel bucky because there aren't really small diesel buckets on the market that I can think of just off the bat. So I, it's going to be a difficult one, and I know why you love it because they're great things, but it's going to be a difficult one to replace the Corsa bucky. Are there, are there any like little entry-level buckies? Like no, of course, small. you still get the MP200, but you know what? If you're used to a Corsa, they, they were great ones. I had a Corsa 1.8 um, bucky um, well, quite a few years back, but I loved it. It was awesome. Um, and those diesels were actually... You know, they, they, they were great. I just, um, I can't think of, as I said, off the top of my hat, or, um, I can't think of a small little entry-level diesel bucky. So that's actually quite a tricky one. Let me just see if I can uh, get my my trusted magazine and see where, what there is. Well, Mahindra Bolero, but that's a big, that's a diesel. Um, let me just see. Oh, hang on. There is an MP200 1.8 DCI. So... Maybe look at the MP100, um, MP200, which is the Nissan um, uh, um, Bucky. Um, there is a 1.5 diesel, so maybe that could be an option. Okay, so look at the so – give that detail again. Nissan MP200, 1.5 DCI. Okay, there we go. Check it out. See if that's uh, where you are going with the kind of car mm. or Bucky that you'd like. You know, Nico, I mean, I think everybody's probably thinking very seriously about how they drive, what they drive, if they drive at all. I mean, yesterday I filled my car and it came to close on a thousand rand to fill it. Now, this is not a big car. Um, yeah. I, it, it's just it's just insane, isn't it? Yes. I mean, unfortunately, everything goes up except our salaries, <laughs> which is really horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, so... It is, you know, you've got to consider um, um, lift clubs is always uh, one option that's simple yeah. um, that can immediately reduce the cost. If you um, and a colleague live close together, um, you could half the amount you, you spend on petrol by simply driving with a colleague. So yeah. lift club is a great idea, which we don't do. Um, but otherwise, you know, also you can't really, if you're replacing your car with one that's even more efficient, uh, and I know your car is very efficient. So, yeah. um, so when you're buying a car initially, um, also do consider... Um, that is part of that. If you know, if you are cost sensitive, rather try and go for a car that is more efficient because that mm. definitely is going to help. Yeah, no. we've got a question for you here. Let's uh, go for it. Uh, good morning, good morning, SAFM. Thank you very much for a good show. <laughs> I'd like to ask uh, the motor specialist. I'm driving a Ford Focus 2005 automatic gearbox. When I drive uh, on a high speed, the traction light comes off, comes on, and then the dashboard will write ESP system failure. What can that be? Because if that light comes on, when I stop and switch off the engine, everything disappears. What can be the cause? The ESP system failure. What can be the cause? Thank you. Wow. Any thoughts on that, Nico? Um, you know, that beep, <laughs> I have no idea. So I, I don't actually know what that could be. What I suggest is owner's manual. Um, in the owner's manual, it'll 
the understanding is pretty good for telling you what all the faults or the lights are. So it's a 2005 autofocus um, at a high speed. If I got the message right, um, suddenly a light goes on VSP system failure. I don't actually know what it is. But, um, I, I, of course, the color of the, the light is an issue if it's yellow or red. If it's red, it's really bad. If it's yellow, you need to have also that still have to have it looked at um, quickly. So go to the owner's manual in the cubby hole. You can even Google it. You can go Ford Focus 2005 VSP system error, and you'll be surprised at you know, getting the answer. Um, and then you need to take it into a Ford dealership uh, or the guy that services your car to have a look at that. I have no idea what it could be, but I wouldn't keep driving with it because you know, if it, it does go away, but um, maybe one day it won't go away, and maybe it could be something um, that could do more damage. So don't, want, don't know what it is, but rather have it checked out and ignore it and keep on waiting to see if it will go away eventually. These things don't go away eventually. They do, can sometimes do more damage um, as other systems can fail. Yeah. But so, I don't know and, what and it is. And I do think that the, well, the interesting point that you're just making is the, is the issue of the color as well. It's like if it's a yellow, then you know you've got a bit of time, but go and get it done quickly. If it's red, then you know you... That's you need to stop the car immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, a question for you. Um, what do the letters... This is from Vince. What do the letters POA stand for in the price column? DC in the transmission column and ESP at the top of the column in the car magazine stand for? So PO, PO, POA, yeah. DC. No, POA is in the price column. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, isn't POA like price on request or something like that? Price on application. Oh, price on application. Okay, Vince, that's POA. DC, what does that stand for? It's in the transmission in, in column. In what column? The transmission column. Oh, double clutch. So DC um, is a uh, double clutch, you know, so uh, like a twin clutch. If you're buying a Volkswagen, it's a DSG. If you're buying an Audi, it's a S-Tronic. If you're buying a um, BMW, it's a DCT. So effectively, twin clutch means that um, uh, the engine and the gearbox, or the gearbox is a, a system that works with two clutches. So it's a very sporty gearbox. You can actually get on a lot of cars. You'll see if you look at the list, there's a lot of cars nowadays with a DC gearbox, a, a twin clutch. Uh, and they, they're very efficient, they're fuel efficient, they're quite sporty um, and quite smooth. And they tend to work well with smaller cars. Or I guess also bigger ones, but they, they are. that's what it stands for. Okay, and, the last one? and then ESP in the top of the column in Car Magazine. Okay, ESP is uh, actually an old, they should actually change it to ESC, but ESP stands for Electronic Stability Program, which was yeah. sort of, what's an older name, um, a lot of manufacturers, um, at one stage, they try to, 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 like ABS. Everybody knows what ABS and all manufacturers call it the same. But when you get to stability control, um, different manufacturers have different names for the same thing. It could be ESP, it could be ESC, it could be DSPC, it could be VSC. So ESP is just um, trying to get a general term for stability control. In other words, something that when the car skids, other when it understeers or oversteers, the car corrects itself by aggressively breaking the wheel and creating a counter-momentum to the skid. So it effectively stabilizes the skid and stops the car from skidding. Okay, Bram Morrow wants to know, and this was a tweet, please ask Petrolhead, with the high cost of fuel and electricity, do you imagine that it could be possible for us to have a fuel-less car that only uses water? And why are car parts too expensive at the car manufacturer stores, but cheaper in good I mean, not in good, but cheaper in non-manufacturer stores. I suppose that's um, looking at grey product as well. Um, that comes from Brian Morrow. Okay, so the first one, uh, can the car run on water? 
need, so the thing is, you need energy to drive the vehicle. And so what fuel is, um, that's what, when you talk about an internal combustion engine car, is if you take a match to petrol, um, it goes poof. So that energy in the petrol is released with, with that small explosion. So you have fuel and air that you mix, and that combust, which drives the piston up and down, which drives your wheel. Now, as you know, um, you can't really ignite water. What they try and do is they um, extract hydrogen, um, and then hydrogen effectively, um, a hydrogen car becomes an electric car. But the thing with hydrogen cars is that um, it's very expensive to, to, to manufacture the hydrogen. So to get the hydrogen to, um, or to manufacture hydrogen is very expensive. And then the hydrogen also sits in a tank that um, you know, has to be quite strong because you don't want to crash in a car with, with, with compressed hydrogen in the, or hydrogen in the tank. It can become a bomb. So they've tried it. Um, lots of manufacturers always try and make hydrogen cars, but they've never been really, really successful. I think in America, and I, I, I stand, stand to be corrected, I think in California um, you can drive a hydrogen car. There are one or two there, and there are some three stations. But major manufacturers have tried to make it work, and they have not succeeded. So that's why there's no hydrogen cars. Uh, what is the second part again? Okay, we're going to go to a break, but we'll come back to the second part. Where the question okay. is, why are car parts so expensive in car manufacturing stores, but cheaper in non-manufacturing stores? And that comes from Bra Morrow. When we come back from the break, you'll let us know. Michelle Constant on SAFM. So, Nico, what's the answer to Bra Morrow's question? Um, it's difficult, I think um, what happens is, of course, the... The manufacturers have their parts that is manufactured to their standards. Um, sometimes you get uh, um, companies that manufacture the same parts, but they've manufactured themselves. So um, they might not have the same guarantee. Sometimes they do have the same guarantee. So there is sometimes a disparity between um, what it costs at the manufacturer and what it costs somewhere else. But you've also got to look at the, the guarantees um, that the manufacturer gives versus the guarantees that you get from another part. So it is all about you know deciding what suits your pocket the best. Um, so uh, why? I mean, you have to ask the manufacturers that. But I, as I said, one thing is definitely for sure is that um, there can be sometimes a difference in the quality of the manufacturing or the part from the manufacturer versus somebody that's just, you know, made a version of that but not to the manufacturer's standards. So that could be the reason. So sometimes non-manufacturers may put out product which is not actually made by the manufacturer. Exactly, exactly. And then, of course, they, they might have, um, you know, they... Some of the parts might not be to the same standard as the manufacturer. Yeah. So that could be why the difference in price, because they're cheaper to manufacture, so they can ask less. Um, so that could be the reason. Okay. We've got a question for you. Let's go. The EGR. EGR, when it's malfunctioning. Uh, when it's malfunctioning, can you clean it or you have to replace it by the new one? The EG, EGR uh, on the diesel engine, when it's malfunctioning, can you replace it or you have to clean it? Okay, so EGR in a diesel engine, can you replace it when it's malfunctioning? I don't know. I think you're probably going to have to have it checked out. Um, because um, sometimes, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I would rather have it checked out um, on uh, as opposed to, um, yeah, making a comment when I haven't seen the part or I don't know what it looks like. What is an so, EG? Uh, what is an EGR? Exhaust gas regulator. Oh. Um, so 
EGR system cleaner. Um, so it basically removes carbon do- um, uh, carbon deposits. Yes. So effectively, um, I think you, I guess you could clean them, but I, I would I would rather say have it looked at. Um, um, yeah. That's what I would suggest. So just just for clarity, so when your car is driving along and there's smoke puffing out the exhaust um, gas, um, the exhaust pipe, and there's like black smoke, that would be um, a problem with your EGR. So, so what happens is um, uh, diesel engines um, create um, uh, CO2. Uh, also, in other words, there's a lot of different um, exhaust um, emissions from a diesel engine. Um, you get CO2, as I said, you get soot, um, from the exhaust. So you get different types of systems to all try and help with that. So you get um, uh, a diesel particulate filter, um, uh, this filter out the suit, um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, the EGR system removes nitrogen oxide from the exhaust. Um, yeah. But these systems can get blocked. Um, so, uh, for instance, in, in diesel cars sometimes, if you just drive them in town and they never drive on the highway for a long distance, these systems can clog out, up. Mm. Um, so, and of course, if it's an older car as well, it's going to happen that the, the systems can clog then, and a lot of the time the manufacturer would replace them. Um, if you're doing it the right place, you can, I guess it could be cleaned. I've never done it. Um, but I'd rather have that checked out by a professional, um, as opposed to saying, because I know there are, there are cleaners for that, but, um, I, am not 100% sure and I don't want to give the wrong advice. So if I'm honest, I'd say have it checked out by a professional. I guess it could be done. Um, but that's what they do, Michelle. And we always hope that if someone is listening who is a, a professional in that particular space or maybe someone who is an amateur mechanic but, uh, or, or a professional mechanic but not working in a manufacturing system, maybe you know about it and you can further answer those questions for us if you are listening. Terence and Kakamas just wants to know, do you have any information when BMW, VW and Audi and Mercedes-Benz are going to test their new cars for the endurance test in South Africa? The last was tested in 2019 here in Uppington and the Kakamas area. Any ideas on that? No, I mean they're not going to tell me because it's a secret. <laughs> so, uh, is it so a se- is I, it a, is it a secret? Yeah, it is. I mean, um, you know, it's not like BMW is going to phone me and say, "Nico, um, we are we are in Uppington now. Um, don't come through and have a look." I've done it, Michelle. I, I've I've been to I've done testing for Porsche, high speed testing in Uppington. Yeah. Um, so. They go, if you go from Uppington North, um, there's a road there that, you, that we could drive on, and then we did some, just some boring, constant driving. So the reason why the manufacturers use Uppington, um, especially like in January, February, is that it's very hot um, and dry, so they can test uh, the conditions of the cars. The cars we, we, we tested at that stage had just come from, I think, North America somewhere. That had, they'd just literally been on the snow and ice. They came here in a container, and then we drove them in the heat. So manufacturers want to... Um, get the worst possible conditions for the cars. And the heat, I think it was like 43 on the days that we were driving in Uppington. So the manufacturers, quite a few of them have special places um, in that area um, where they drive the cars. So the people that live in, in, in Uppington will tell you now and then they see these cars, you know, that you see on spy picks, um, car spy picks. In other words, panels on them or squiggly little bits on them so you can't recognize the car. So the cars are often tested there. It could be that with COVID, um, the manufacturers actually um, didn't go there. Maybe it wasn't easy to get the cars through or the personnel through. So maybe um, that's what happened is that they're not testing them now. But definitely um, South Africa is used as a proving ground, which, of course, is great for us because it, it helps a little bit in the economy of that area. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so I'm so not is it, sure. Is it, so is it all secret? So like if BMW or that's, um, so that's why that's why they they are going to test the cars that you're going to see in three four years time. Yeah, um, or maybe two years time. So yeah. the cars that's why the cars are panelled up so you can't exactly see what it looks like. So they want to test the car in those hot conditions without you um, seeing what it looks like because obviously um, they want to release it on their time in their fashion as opposed to testing the car and, oh, here's the new car that we'll see in two years' time. So those cars are, are effectively launched a few years later, but they want to test um, what the cars will do in those conditions. And no, listen, if, if it's very hot, this engine is fine. It's not overheating. Yeah. Um, and if it's very dry, there's no issues there. So that's what they do. That's so, yeah. So oh. They're secret cars. That's why I don't know. Um, and they don't <laughs> tell anybody, you know, and sometimes even um, um, Audi South Africa or BMW South Africa wouldn't necessarily know um, because um, they, they, the company, the parent company in Germany is testing the cars here. But they oh. don't necessarily let the, they're not going to let the local manufacturers know that we're testing the cars here. Well, the cars Terence, the cars test. I think we must put a call out. Terence and Kakamas, if you are listening now, I think when you get a sense that it's going to happen, if there's like something going on in your area, <laughs> Uppington, Kakamas, and you're like thinking, okay, no, this doesn't look normal. There's something going on. You must let us know instantly. Terence, you tweet us, you follow us on Twitter at SAFM Radio, hashtag SAFMJSB, or send it to me directly at Mish Constant. We'd love to hear, and then we can do some detective work. Terence, you are the detective. We've got another question for someone. Let's go with it. Listen, I've got a Scenic uh, Renault automatic, and when you put it in drive, it's like very lazy, and it doesn't go into the second or any other gears. What could possibly be the problem, please, man? A lazy Renault, Nico. <laughs> so, um, if I heard correctly, it's an automatic Renault, it doesn't go to second gear. Yeah, I think so, yes. Yeah, so, so normally um, these, these automatic gearboxes have uh, computer systems on them, if you want to think of it like, like a little brain, um, and sometimes referred to as a megatronics, for instance. And, and that system will then have certain parameters or inputs. Um, uh, how hard are you pressing the accelerator, for instance? Or so what's the load uh, on the gearbox itself? And, and then figure out if it has to go to second or third or fourth. So um, it seems then probably that there's something wrong with the with the brain component of the automatic gearbox. The, let's call it in the megatronics, and that system isn't working properly. It's, sometimes they 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 conk in and you have to replace them. So that could be the reason. But again, it's difficult without a proper um, diagnostic test. But I guess that could be possibly the gearbox um, brain part of the gearbox isn't isn't is an issue. So it could mean, also be the gearbox itself, but I don't know. So you could almost say that it's got brain fog. <laughs> That's Rain it. Pump. We're out of here. It's nine o'clock. It's time for the news. Good morning.